and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We are here with another Penguin Little Black Classics book review. This is episode 61. That is a six and a one, which means we're in the back fourth of the collection. We're working on the final 20 episodes now. Joining me today for the review is podcast co-host extraordinaire and the title, (laughs) the special title we made, I just forgot, as I was about to say it, Amanda's here. (laughs) Hello, the Ponderer was the, the Ponderer. <laughs> there we go. The the Ponderer Amanda. Yes, as it's your birth name, your surname. So we'll stick with that. The Ponderer. As I mentioned, we're here with another book review in the Penguin Little Black Classics set or collection. Today we are reading a what I thought would be a, a brief collection or like a shorter collection of fables, but it turns out there's basically one per page. So for me, there were 57 that we'll get into that in a second. And they are by, so do you pronounce his name uh, Aesop with an E? I do. Yeah. Cool. I'll pronounce it that way too. I had heard Aesop, but that's because there's a rapper I knew growing up named Aesop Rock and that's how he pronounced his name. Mm-hmm. So let's go with Aesop though. I think that's fine. I don't, I don't speak ancient Greek, so I think we'll be okay either way. (laughs) Or spell, or write in ancient Greek. But yeah, we'll go with Aesop. Quite famous for his fables, and again, we'll discuss that also a little bit into the episode. We will begin our review today, which will be a recommendation show, so no spoilers, except I'll tell you this, I'm going to read some of these fables straight through. Um, (laughs) And actually, let's, let's just do this now then. I was about to start with our one sentence simile reviews, which we will continue to do. We're going to keep the final 20 here. I think we'll keep the format largely the same. Maybe we'll play with a couple ideas, but for the most part, we're going to keep it the same. Before we do all that, though, and again, we're going to keep the format largely the same, but before we do all that, crucial moment for the podcast right now, two revelations right up front, two crucial ones as well. I'm pretty sure this is a podcast first for us and for our small, humble audience. This hopefully doesn't come as a shock and a betrayal of trust. Uh, I will start. I did not even finish reading this, and I did it on purpose. It was not forgetfulness. Or even laziness. I had plenty of time today, last week. We've been reading in advance. I straight up willfully refused to finish reading these. I I think I tapped out around page 40. So I read about 40 of them. Mine goes up to page 57. And I just stopped. I just could not finish these. I could not bring myself to do it. And honestly, maybe the saddest part of that is the 17 pages would have taken about five minutes to read. I don't know. maybe, Maybe a little longer, I guess, if I would have taken some notes or something. But... Yeah, I did not even finish them. So, Amanda, where did you end up with the fables? So, I, uh, since I don't have the little black book classic collection, mm-hmm. I um, ha- had my book, which has different translations for the titles, but also did not include. I would say out of the 56 uh, total tales mm-hmm. um, in your collection, my collection only had 14 of those and I read all 14 of those and I tried Mm -hmm. to read like, and I read half of the fables in it and I could have of course found the other fables in, in the collection in online, but I was like, I've read enough to, I think have a really good understanding and and be able to have a conversation about the fables. Like, so I also did not, read all of mm-hmm. the fables that I I could have. But yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it was not because of laziness. I could have, right? I, I spent the day today actually reading um quite a bit, but not the fables, but reading yeah. Parable of the of the Sower actually. And 
so I I could have. I just was like, yep, that's enough for me. I'm done with that. We have so. long joked about one of these reviews finally coming in under 25 or 20 minutes. Let's see if we can pull it off here. I have so oh, yeah, little sure. to say about this that it, I mean, and hopefully the the listeners, again, for those of you who are out there, will trust us enough to know that not finishing it is crucial to the review. There are some things that I just don't know if you need to finish to be able to review or recommend them to people. I find yeah. it uh, for other mediums to be maybe less believable, like a movie, you know, it's so short that no matter what you can suffer through or whatever, but this, I don't know what it was. I, hopefully we'll unpack it. Uh, but we will go in the usual order and we'll do our diligence. We've got our segments prepped, so let's get into it. Uh, do you want to begin us tonight then, Amanda, with a one-sentence simile review of the Aesop fables? Sure. Um, also, I want to say that your simile was like perfect. And <laughs> so it took me a while sure, to come okay. up with mine. But <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You can, well, you, it's a life that you lead. So I just borrowed yeah. it. <laughs> Um, so I said that reading this is like reading a whole lot of fortune cookies and then also being given the context to each one before you read them. Um, and the context is, yeah, just like being, yeah, it's, it's just like, oh, well, here's some background information. That's like maybe a sentence and, oh, and here's a moral that you need to live by. Done. Yeah. Nothing better on a fortune cookie than turning it around and having a small paragraph of unreadable print. (laughs) Giving you a little bit of background for why you're, why you're, I'm just trying to, I'm, man, I'm trying to freestyle a fortune cookie off the top of my head. I cannot do it. I'm, I'm trying to just say a generic fortune. Why your next Tuesday lunch will be delicious or I don't, I don't know. What do they even write them about? That job is apparently more challenging than I realize. I can't do it. I don't want to predict anyone's fortunes. My simile review is reading this was like having a conversation with that age of person right in that sweet spot where I wrote three or four years old, but I'm not even sure if that's the age for this, but right when they're conversational and quite fluent so they can talk to you, but also where they don't have thoughts that cohere for longer than a little brief glimmer longer than a second. So you're talking to them, but then it's really just them just bombarding you with quick anecdotes, you know, and guess what, guess what else? And guess what else I have? And guess what? And then that's all they offer. And every sentence is something new. They're just giving you new details over and over, but none of it's coming together. None of it connects and doesn't make any sense. And so you really are achieving nothing, frankly. It's just a way for them to kind of practice speaking, I guess. It's almost Mm -hmm. like a speaking exercise, but certainly not conversational. I mean, there's no, there's no back and forth. It's just a, yeah, a bombardment of quick, little snippets. That's how reading this felt to me. Uh, And if that sounds insufferable to you, then my simile did its purpose. Yep. It was a perfect simile. (laughs) Yeah. And if, and congrats, if you've survived those scenarios, those kids deserve to have that attention or whatever. I don't know if Aesop does. We'll continue the review and see if, (laughs) see if that is so. I'll throw out my connection then because a lot of these fables. And so to be clear, I guess for a hundred percent above board, I'll, I'll be, you know, reveal my process. I think I read, and I ended up reading about 40 of them out of the however many, 56, I think you said. And so I read a vast mm-hmm. majority, over half. A lot of them have to do with being greedy or overestimating yourself or wanting too much, which are themes that are sure quite universal. I mean, you can connect that to, we're recording this in 2020, coronavirus times. You could connect it to that, connect it to national notions of greed and 
selfishness and whatever else in, in a character, societal, cultural character, you can make those connections. I think those themes don't ever really go away. Greed is not, you know, you can t- kind of take your cardinal sins from various religions and hold those up and say, this is kind of a universal human idea. So I think that connection is pretty obvious, you know, whether you need those lessons told to you mm-hmm. by some kind of talking lion or some kind of person in a person in a, in a quick life, I don't know, debacle or something is up to you. But yeah, those themes show up, Amanda. Did you see any relevant connections? Sure. I mean, yeah, there were several morals that, you know, I, I think that I could and that we all could agree with. Some of them I did not agree with, but I'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I wanted to uh, kind of point out was that we kind of live in an Aesop-esque time period where we are, um, as a culture in, in the United States with all the movements that are happening, we're kind of calling out behavior and kind of moralizing in a sense. Sure. And yeah. telling people and, you know, saying, hey, like this behavior is not good. We need to change this behavior. So it's like we live in, in Aesop's world mm-hmm. almost. <laughs> It, well, it's quite right that <laughs> it's a time to have your morality in, in very clear order. And it's a time, yeah. I think, quite rightly at the moment that you have to have priorities in terms of your values and morals. So, yeah, that is 100% a connection. These are all fables through and through. They are clear moral tales that if you don't get them, will be explained to you or attempted to be explained. And so, yeah, if you're if you're needing to question your morality or you know perhaps teach younger people about morality – there's excellent connections in here. That is for sure. Let's give the uh, listeners, Amanda, a sense of what it is like to read this. This is where the review in earnest will begin to, I believe, fall apart. We'll try and hold it together as best we can. But I, you know, I, I might pass out while reading some of these as I almost did while reading it the first time. Do you want to start us off with a quote today that can help us clarify the reading experience and the style? Sure. And I just want to say that it was really difficult to come up with quotes because I was just like, man, I don't even, I don't even know. But uh, what I did is I pulled a lot of the, so the the way that it's set up is like, it's the little story, like a paragraph, and then it is followed with um, the moral, the a stated moral, right? So mm-hmm. um, there were some I thought that, uh, you know, growing up, you, you read Aesop's fables in elementary school and stuff. And, and it's like always things like, um, don't be a liar and, um, don't be a fool and get tricked and stuff like that. Right. But I also saw actually, um, in my collection at least, and, um, in some of the selections in your, in your collection, um, (laughs) it teaches also that you need to, like be happy with your your place in the hierarchy, right? This yeah, is written during yeah. a time when there was like slavery and stuff like that um, in Greece. And it's like, uh, yeah, you are the person that, you know, I own. So don't get uppity with me. So yeah, right. there were some of the, uh, I, and that was pretty glaring to me actually. Um, so with, um, on, in my collection, it's on page 58, but in, it's called The Ass and the Lapdog. Or I think yours is called like The Ass and the, and like the Little Dog, the little whatever. Um, a ferret? Where, house ferret showed up a lot for some reason. I feel yeah, like the, when I typed those up to you, I typed up the term house ferret a lot. Yeah, there, there were quite a few. But the, yeah. the lapdog one was like the, the dog um, was loved by the master and then the donkey wanted 
to also be loved by the master and so like started acting like the dog and then like got his butt whooped and was like stop being weird so um, the moral to that one is a place for everyone and everyone in its place sure and then with the other one which was the monkey and the camel that moral was it is absurd to ape our betters so uh don't pretend to be you know don't act like somebody who is better than you right right so i just i saw some of those and i was just like wow like i didn't even it was kind of uh, something that I had not noticed when I was younger. And perhaps those are the ones that we are not taught as children. Um, but I thought that was interesting yeah. and, and gave me new insight yeah. into like Aesop's, I guess, like moral compass. And he was a slave when he, I don't know if he wrote these down or had them orally taken down, but according to the, I think the back of my penguin classic tells me that composed by a slave in Greek antiquity. Yeah. And so these are things that perhaps he was taught to believe and, you know, brought up to understand and believe. It's a thin line, though, isn't it? Now that you say that between be humble and don't be greedy versus accept that you're a slave and lesser. I mean, there's a I guess that line's not that thin. There's pretty, I think, some pretty clear differences. But in terms of being taught it in a fable, like how to know when to take more for yourself versus pull back and don't take too much. I mean, yeah. Because the stories have no elaboration, I think you could just interpret that how whichever way you wanted on For some sure. of them mm-hmm. and just kind of take it and interpret it in, in one of those two. Again, those are similar ideas, but they, there's a line between them that is a, a crucial one, if not mm-hmm. maybe a bit thin. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I didn't even think of them with that much nuance. Um, I can jump in then and explain perhaps why. Sure. Some of the mine had explanations after them. So the fables are incredibly short. Some of them are like two sentences long. And then after each was a summary. And I believe that comes from Aesop too. That's not something Penguin included. That's there's just an explainer after in case right. somehow you misread. And some of the explainers to me just literally did not connect with the the, I guess, allegory in the story or the kind of anthropomorphization that was going on. Like it just mm-hmm. didn't. I'll read one for an example. This is the entire fable. A walnut tree grew on the edge of a path and was constantly hit by a volley of stones, which I don't even know what that means. I guess the stones are falling down a mountain or something. It is said, or sorry, it's said to itself with a sigh, how unlucky I am that year after year I attract insults and suffering, which I guess that's the stones are metaphorical then. Uh, anyway, that that's it, though. That's the whole fable. Two sentences. And then the explanation is, this fable is aimed at people who don't withdraw from a source of annoyance for their own good. I don't even... That clarification makes me completely misunderstand the fable, which was already lacking some detail for me to understand it. How would a tree escape? And Nor did it choose to be there, so how can it be blamed for, like... <laughs> It's not like it chose where to sprout and it, di- it didn't move itself and it certainly can't move now. What is yeah. What did they want the tree to do? Why, of, if you're going to teach that message, why use a tree to embody that as a, like a symbol or a metaphor? Yeah. Or I guess an allegory or whatever. But I don't understand. Did, am I mi- what am I misreading about that? That's, I don't get- that's a strange one. Yeah, it's, I don't get that at all. Considering, it, it's, it's really funny too when you think um, back one of the, one of the morals, right? The, the stated morals after uh, the story, one of them is um, to lay blame where blame is due. Yeah. yeah. 
blame on the tree for having a root system and being unable to literally ever move itself. I mean, I suppose we can move trees, you know, people can move trees by digging up the root systems and whatever. But as far as I know, there's no tree on earth that moves itself unless I I, actually, now that I say that though, it's our biodiversity is pretty strong still at the moment. Um, But so there probably is one that I just don't know, or maybe one of them can get into a river or something, but most trees do not move themselves and cannot, nor do they choose where they grew. Mm -hmm. It's just happenstance. It's just random. I, yeah, that even when I was reading the two sentences back, I was caught on certain things with confusion. Are the Mm -hmm. stones literal? How are they being thrown? I guess like, I guess it's random. Year after year, insults and suffering. Like, well, where, what insults from whom? Where do the stones come from? And then the, the clarification made it worse. I don't. Why is the clarification there if it doesn't even align with the brief little tale you told? Uh, not well, anyway. So that was just an example. I don't, I don't think there's many more of that. I think there's one more I can get into. I'm not sure if you found any quotes like that that were off-putting in that exact manner. But yeah, just if you're going to give me something so brief and simple. Don't make me feel silly or, you know, like I'm misreading this really elementary level text. Yeah. I also pulled a few um, of the stories that I thought the the message, uh, specifically I was looking at like the, the moral that was stated versus the moral that I got from the story. And um, in my copy, it's called The Fortune Teller, but in your okay, copy, yeah. I think it's called The Diviner. Okay. Yeah. Where the the guy is claiming to be a fortune teller and he's and this guy comes up and tricks him by telling him that his house is on fire and so he rushes off and is like JK, like if you were really a fortune teller, then you would know that your house was not actually on fire. Sure, yeah. So the moral to that, the stated moral is tis a poor baker who will not eat his own wares. And I was like, What? I know that that's like slightly metaphorical, but the message that I got from reading that story was, hey, don't be a liar. Don't be a cheat. Right. Don't try to take advantage of people. Yeah. Because you'll get called out on it. And then it. And so the moral that was stated versus the, the moral that I got personally from the reading, I was just like. Ah, <laughs> it's an especially unique one to consider now that we have, you know, since Aesop died, m- much human knowledge that he did not have, like so what psychology is or how the brain functions. Mm-hmm. It's an odd one to especially consider that sometimes with people who are liars and what's the term when they're like abusive or persistent liars? I feel like there's a term for this in psychology like when they're compulsive. Yeah, or yeah, or pathological liars. or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. p- compulsive liars. They sometimes I believe they believe the lie reality. They like mm-hmm. weave a lie reality around themselves that they actually end up believing or something. They're so weirdly narcissistic or something that they they just believe that they're not lies to them anymore. They don't even process them that way. And so, or maybe you know something like that. So anyway, they're so deluded. But the whole point is, yeah, you can't tell. Is the does the fortune teller truly believe in themselves and their ability? Then at that point, it's not even lying. They're they genuinely believe they're giving a service. But in that case, I think, yeah, the criticism is clear. I'll throw out another quote I pulled that is just indicative of the writing style and the, the flow. And this is from, I don't even remember the name, frankly, I don't care. I'm trying not to sound <laughs> worn down, but I just, I don't know. I can't muster a lot. Uh, I'm just trying to do the, the listener some diligence here. But the quote is from page 21. And it's, uh, oh, I think it's the antelope and the antlers or something. It says, how unfortunate I am. My feet, which I had denigrated, could have saved me, whereas my antlers, on which I prided myself, have caused my death. 
And so that's not the explanation. It's the final quote from the from the deer or animal character at the end. That, but that's the storytelling we're dealing with. That's the kind of really stuck, like I was going to say stuck up, but not stuck up, really stiff is the word I want, really rigid dialogue. It doesn't have any character or depth. There's no ambiguity. They're going to tell you directly what you should have understood at the end. The characters will bemoan it by literally saying it. They're not going to have any background or flesh anything out. They're just going to say what went wrong and explain it to you. It's very summary. Mm -hmm. There's no character there at all. They're not even characters, really. They're just mouthpieces for whatever theme is being delivered. So if that sentence roused you, then... I genuinely read these. I don't, yeah, I'm not really sure what to say. I don't, I'm trying to not sound condescending about that. If you've listened to other episodes by now, you probably know our literary proclivities and everything. So maybe this won't be surprising, but for me, it's not this, this is antithetical to everything I want to read. Not Mm -hmm. that I don't feel worse for having read it, but I feel like it was a waste of reading for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that they could have definitely included a, some other collection of somebody else's instead of Esau. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's odd. I, we haven't really played editor or hypothetical editor throughout the collection, though we've taken criticisms or we've, we've lobbed harsh criticisms at certain works. Look, I think if you said to me, you only get 80 books to put in the world history canon, I, you have to put fables in at some point. It would be absurd not to do it. it it's a type of storytelling that persisted for a long time and still persists just in kids literature and children's stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would pick the Aesop ones, if those are the best or the most interesting to me. They they do claim to be the first recorded ever. They're the oldest ones that people have found. I know in the, we'll get to the literary corner, but I know that the dictionary mentions some from India that are pretty old and one other place I don't remember. But anyway, they do say Aes- Aesop's are the oldest written down. And so, you know, I <laughs> you can't argue with that kind of historicity of it. That's interesting, but... <sighs> I think uh, with with classics, I mean, everybody has seen, well, I I should amend that, uh, students in Western education, right, in Western public education have experienced ESOP. Yeah, even if they don't know it. Right. And I feel like this collection has included works that not everybody has necessarily read. You and I have because our specialties uh, were in English, but even then a lot of these works we have not actually encountered. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like if they did want to do the fables, they could have done like the fables from anybody else that we would not have necessarily come upon beforehand. But this is something that like we've experienced since kids. It's not, it's not novel for us. And it's just, and I would, and that was another thing that I, I was struggling with. That's, and that's why I kept like, Oh, there's something in here about like, actually the Greek gods. I didn't even realize that it was, so yeah. I was like trying to, trying to make it as interesting for myself as possible by trying to, to bring in like new information and, and with fresh eyes. But it was like, man, it was a struggle. Yeah, that's for sure. I, it's funny when you were describing it that way, I agree. I think it's, I would have easily swapped these for fables from another, I don't know, time period, culture, whatever. Then I want to run into, I want to be careful about, because these are objectively, I guess we could say somewhat, you know, they're fantastical, so you could call them exotic. Animals talk and communicate, but I almost, yeah, wish for fables from a, just give me some cultural context that I didn't know a lot about before. You know, I think of 
just get, yeah, from a different civilization, from something I hadn't heard in, in different formats in so many different ways, I guess, delivered already. Um, I, what I wanted to say about being careful is I don't want to just exoticize things and be like, well, it'd be better if it was from somewhere else because it's cooler or what, you know, I don't, right, I right, don't think right. either of us are going to peddle that kind of stuff. But in this case, yeah, it's maybe just too familiar and, and pair that with something deeply uninteresting to read, uh, deeply lacking craft <laughs> in the yep. most literal way. I just, it was made for a really potent combo to the point that I have another quote I could read, but the whole point I wanted to make with the other quote was that it's a lesson where it says people are brave and fearless, but when put to the test are exposed as frauds. But in the story, there's no exposure and there's no test. It's just, they have a banter and that's it. And then they both part ways Mm -hmm. and there's no, there's no test. There's no fear put into anyone. It was another case of just, I don't understand what I just read, I guess. I mean, there was there was a little back and forth, but then the theme comes up that, you know, tells you directly and it just, it didn't match. So the whole thing felt odd to me. And this didn't happen on each of them, but it happened often enough for me to wonder just what was going on. I would be interested to know how those things align or somebody more studied than me could explain it perhaps. Yeah, the... Uh, as far as like the banter and stuff like that in, inside of the stories, one of my other, my final quote was also about how um, the, the characters you, you expect in fables that if it's somebody who's doing something wrong, that there is some kind of punishment for that wrongdoing. But a lot of these stories yeah. don't have any kind of punishment. It's just like, Oh, this one person witnessed you being a douche. And they're like, Hey, I saw you being a douche. And then that's it. Like there's no punishment and you're like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's yeah. The conclusions don't match the conclusions. The the summaries don't match the ending, which I think with theme, I mean, we've both taught in school, so we've tried to get it the simple way to explain things, but yeah, explaining the theme of anything without explaining the ending just doesn't click. Like the ending is kind of one of the defining factors in, in a theme decision where it's just, where do things resolve? What is the resolution that is crucial in deciding what a thing meant or what it was. I mean, it doesn't undo what it was before, but it certainly helps. And some of these endings just were so limp and didn't connect with what they wanted to have taken away. Yeah. yeah. Is there any other quotes or are there any, any other quotes rather you want to get into or explore? Nope. I'm good. Me neither, frankly. And sorry. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't want to personally sound worn down. That's bad. That's just bad listening folks. We're here to entertain you. But hopefully that at the very least, again, in a review, hopefully at the very least I gave you a sense of what these are like to read. Mm-hmm. Let's jump to the literary corner then, Amanda, as uh, I've noticed, you're not going to challenge me on this one. Probably very smartly. So because there's really one thing we should cover today. <laughs> yeah. And that is the concept of a fable. Uh, I pulled this from the Penguin Literary Dictionary. A fable is, quote, a short narrative in prose or verse, which points a moral, which is such a British way to write that. Non-human creatures or inanimate things are normally the characters. The presentation of human beings as animals is the characteristic of the literary fable. And this is odd. It says, and is unlike the fable that still flourishes among primitive peoples, but they don't say who those peoples are. So I'm not really sure what that means. Um... And also, just so I could clarify this, let's just nitpick the literary dictionary because that's about, that's kind of the rousing stuff we're getting into this episode. But <laughs> it says the presentation of human beings as animals is the characteristic. Isn't, shouldn't that be the reverse? That's the, that yeah. An- 
Yeah, I thought that too. I, I reread that like five times, but I'm sure it's just a little typo they made. It's a massive literary dictionary. It's like 700 pages, so whatever. Yeah. They can have their occasional typo. I'm just glad I wasn't losing my mind. I was like, man, am I deeply misreading this? What is wrong with this? <laughs> um, so anyway, it's the animals that act like people, folks. That's what's yep. going on in a fable. Yep. Uh, the genre probably arose in Greece, uh, thus Aesop, and the first collection of fables is ascribed to Aesop. Mention should also be made of George Orwell's remarkable political satire, Animal Farm, which is a fable in form. The only reason I pulled that end quote about Orwell, which was way later in the in the piece, they, they went through like the history of the fable, mm-hmm. is just because I was trying to think of a way I could enjoy this genre ever again. And it's funny because I read Animal Farm. I took an Orwell class in college and read a lot of his stuff. And even then, I thought it was the most forgettable thing that we had in that class, though it was fine. I was mildly interested. I thought it was pretty snappy and easy to read and yada, you know, yada, yada, go on and on. But I think even that's telling. I think I am just so completely out on this genre. All the fables and fairy tales we've done in this classics collection, I've reacted very negatively against them. And so... I don't know if they're saving the fable for me, Amanda. You have a young ch- child. I, I don't want to give away too much personal details. Sorry, but yeah. you <laughs> might have to be reading fables very soon. So yeah. I'm not sure how you feel about them or if these were particularly good ones. Uh, I have a collection of Aesop's fables, right? So she can read them mm-hmm. if she wants to. But I mean, I'm not. That's not what I'm going to be reading to her. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, too, because you'd think, well, there will come a time, right, when that's what she can process. But we have picture books now. There's And there's been a long, now pretty storied history relative to her age and her lifespan so far, like of children's literature being pretty intriguing and good. You know, get some Shel Silverstein or whatever. Get some funny poetry going. Dr. Dr. Seuss Seuss. can help you out. Exactly. Those those stories are way more dynamic. And so and, you know, the art doesn't hurt in my in my view anyway. But yeah. Yeah. Did you have any final thoughts on the on the fable? Is there any? The, again, I pulled the Orwell thing because I was really racking my brain to see what would a good fable be to me, or how could someone hand me a fable today and have it have it delight me and, and, and entertain me and intrigue me? I truly don't know. Is there a form of this that I would like? You think, or that you like? I don't know. I mean, I I, I had not thought of Animal Farm as being in fable form, but I I mean, I guess it makes sense because yeah, it's an allegory and that's how I always read it. I didn't think of it as a fable, but I guess it is because of the, the animals obviously being humanistic, but like, is that, and the, I mean, the morals within, but it's more, I always just looked at it as more of an allegory, which also is meant to kind of like point out the deficiencies within some, whatever they're, Right. Um, comparing it to. So, yeah. yeah, I don't, I can't think of any other th- things that I've seen or read that are in fable form. And there Zap. are some, I know there, there's a comic book series, I forget the name of, but it's sort of a retelling, but it's more fairy tales being retold and, you know, turned into like grittier tales. They flesh out the backstories of certain fairy tale characters and on and on. I think I would be kind of intrigued by that, but at the same time, part of me just thinks, 
why write a comic backstory to Red Riding Hood and do, like just make a new character or something? I don't know. I, I'm not going to call that being lazy or anything. It's not like that. It's just why evoke something so boring and then try and make a boring thing cool, I, I guess is the, if I had to put it really crudely, that's kind of where my head's at with it, where it, you have this original thing, which again, to me has just become so uninteresting. I don't want someone to take an uninteresting thing and think, let's try and make this, like, let's force this, you know, let's take, I guess there's name recognition there. I guess that helps. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, we have a shared collective knowledge about these stories that can help, I don't know, kick off a new idea or, you know, help with a reinvention. But I don't know. I, I suppose I just, when I think about adaptations I love, I love adaptations of things that I already loved or something, mm-hmm. you know, or something that I already thought was pretty great. And then they, you know, make an interesting version of it that's also pretty great. So at any rate, if they're, if you're out there and you have some kind of incredible, fable adjacent story to to pitch or to give me or to present please you know email in or get in touch with us we'll give our socials at the end let's uh move into the review then amanda uh we have two segments here the first one will be one heck of a burden that is the (laughs) russell french in memoriam so what's good about it segment this has to be genuine enthusiasm i'm going to make you go first what it was (laughs) genuinely good about the aesop's fables Um, so I did like that. It was a fast read, even though I didn't complete all of the reading, it was still a really telling there. Yeah. Very telling. I mean, I I did read like half of my book, which is a hundred fables. So I, and I read that in like two hours. Yeah. It's quick. And that's with a child like around me. (laughs) Um, and it does have some good morals, although some morals that I don't agree with. Um, the thing that I actually did like about, well, in my collection in particular is that I got to see, um, a different side of Aesop in that I noticed that his morals sometimes were more about like staying within your particular spot in the hierarchy um, and some and, and pointing out more for me, like an understanding of like <laughs> he came from a time when, when Greece had the slaves. Right. And then also right. that um, the, the references to the gods, which I had not noticed as a kid either so there was so i was able to kind of like try to to see a different side of Aesop that i had not noticed as a kid and i think those culturally sensitive contextually sensitive ones i think just get stripped out when they're given like i don't think the kids get the hermes ones you know or the zeus ones or whatever i just i don't even think those make that make their way through we're dealing with much simpler they take the animal ones the because every child loves a a talking walking human-like animal so i think those are the ones that get passed have gotten passed down and used I genuinely thought that many of the lessons, though I, I quoted at least a few that were baffling to me, but many <laughs> of them are so clear and brief that they are kind of timeless in that way. And and I thought they were all going to be have no cultural context. I thought they're all going to be culturally context less, but mm-hmm. that was not true, as you rightly pointed out. So I, I really thought they were almost universally applicable. That's not actually true, but I think a lot of them are. They're extremely easy to adapt then. You can teach them with great ease. I, in fact, use them every year I taught because when I was teaching you know, middle school English, you have to teach theme. That's a standard uh, and one that I think is a fine one to teach. It can be difficult, actually. And mm-hmm. so these are great gateways in to just get them to understand the idea that a story can tell you something without really telling you directly. Though, again, these tell you pretty directly. You got to cut that part out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you're going to teach with these, don't leave the ending in where they explain it to you because that ruins what you're trying to teach them. Yep. So anyway, yeah, that's I can genuinely say that. And I, again, use them shamelessly. Uh, no copyright on Aesop. Thanks for that, brother. Uh, from the from the 25 
hundred year grave or whatever. High five. But yeah, that's, um, yeah, that I think is genuine praise I can say to it. Let's move into the now most unnecessary segment of this entire episode, <laughs> which is the official review and score segment. We like to rate on a three-point scale. A one is a do not read. A two is a qualified recommendation, so maybe read. And then a three is a definite must read. Go ahead, Amanda. Kick it off. I gave it a three. Just kidding. Yeah, I gave it a one. It. <laughs> okay. No controversy today. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so I mean, we already know the morals, right? Uh, we don't need to read them. We don't need that yeah. context. You can just, just like when you read the maxims by, um, I think it was Goethe, right? Oh yeah, those are intriguing at least comparatively. Right. It, it they're they're better perhaps worded, uh, and it's just I didn't need to oh, read not. these stories. It didn't yeah. add anything to it. Just if you want to just throw morals at me, okay, I would also not want to read that. So <laughs> it's just... Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I it's, think, yeah. it's funny because one of the uh, stories actually says uh, the moral is to prefer quality over quantity. And sure, not not happening here. and maybe it's the limitations of genre or time period or whatever i'm not going to say that aesop should have written moby dick i don't even really like moby dick anyway so who cares you know i'm not saying that i'm not saying make your three-part trilogy of your fable stories and interweave them or whatever but yeah this is a total one i'm gonna i'm i wrote down yell this from a mountaintop this might be the most aggressive one we've ever had i'm almost ashamed that we went to almost 40 minutes on this i really (laughs) wanted to make this brief i guess that just shows that you and i can just talk about any story for however long we want to and just i didn't think we were rambling so whatever i'm I'm gonna take it i accept that we can do 40 minutes on aesop's fables it's a one though do not read this just completely avoid this if you're super curious if you know any of them just google the phrase famous Aesop fables, you'll see about five titles. You'll nod your head and go, oh yeah, I did read those. And then you can just move on with your life (laughs) and know in the back of your head and heart that you read maybe the oldest fables ever written. There you go. Look at how culturally knowledgeable you are and look at how learned you are. And that's fine. So you can check that off the bucket list, but seriously, don't read these. Don't buy a copy or edition of a collection. It's just not worth it. You yep. there's just so many infinitely better things to read. It's been a long time of literary history since he wrote these down or they were taken down. Just read anything else. That is my takeaway. It's a one. I they don't ever say they're welcome, so thankful for that. But otherwise I'm not thankful. Any final parting thoughts on the fables today, Amanda, before I hit stop recording and walk into the ocean? <laughs> nope, I'm good. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, we will return next week. We will not be put off. Uh, Next week, we're visiting another brief form of literature, and that is the haiku. Is it Bashuo? Yeah, Bashuo. Bashuo. Okay. And we'll be covering a whole bunch of haiku. Thankfully, you found that online, so I think you'll be joining us again. Um, Very grateful for that because I don't... I need to like Google how to read haiku properly. It's a form that everyone knows, but no one really dives into, at least again in like Western education. So I have to do some preliminary quick reading about how to approach those in the right way. So look forward to that. And we'll be back with that'll be episode 62. As always, folks, we thank you for listening in and we'll see you between the classics. 